information contained herein should not be considered investment advice. All investments have risks. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon without first consulting your personal financial, tax, and legal advisors. The Benchmark Podcast is affiliated with BCS Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to The Benchmark, a podcast from the team at BCS Wealth Management. My name is Nathan. Uh, Today I'm here with Philip, or PB, and Scott. It's a busy Monday morning here in East Tennessee, and we're trying to get our bearings about ourselves. But we wanted to take a few moments, and um, we thought we'd just talk for a few minutes about 2023 uh, looking ahead to 2024, what we see in the markets. Um, we normally come to the table here, you know, really prepared and, and specific topics and know what we want to talk about. And we're, it's a little bit different today. Um, it's really going to be more of just a conversation, um, looking back on the year, as well as looking ahead at, at what we see in the markets. Before we get into that, Let's talk about something really important and talk about New Year's resolutions. So, <laughs> uh, guys, tell me, what did you have a New Year's resolution, and uh, do you mind to share what it was? PB? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd like to be more intentional about letting friends know that I'm thinking of them. I find myself in this habit of thinking of somebody, just a passing thought of a friend, but I don't take action on it like I should. I don't text them. I don't call them. I want to be more intentional about letting them know that they're on my mind when, whenever they are. That's great. Yeah, we should. In this busy world, we should probably all do better about that. It's something yeah. I need to work on for sure. Yeah. Scott, what about you? Yeah, I think for me, I, I typically don't do a New Year's resolution. If I had something, I think that's probably been on my mind. I guess that you know, at the beginning of the year, we're so busy with family activities and those kinds of things, and kids' sports, and so you know, try to slow down, I guess, and be more intentional with my family time, and and you know, as opposed to just running from one event to the next, be a little bit more intentional with that, and you know, how we spend our time, what we're spending our time on, and and you know, being together as a family as opposed to just being in the vicinity of each yeah, other, right? right? So, yeah. Uh, so that that's one that I think that's probably been on my mind here, kind of as, as the year, you know, flips to twenty twenty four. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. Uh, sadly to say, mine is the same as it's been the last two years, <laughs> which is just to get get uh, in in better shape, uh, take care of myself, and. Um, exercise and, and do those things and I have done that but it's uh, it's it's hard when you you've got uh, you know busy career and kids and running around but um, the third year is the charm hopefully third time's the charm <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, I think it's good to that's one of those things that never goes away you know it should be a, a goal constantly you never you never fully reach it you know you're never in right. perfect shape and, and so we, but that's the goal is to uh Kind of do better about that. So let's take a look here, guys, as as we jump into just looking back briefly on 2023. Um, Scott, when, when we look back, 
how did we start the year? Where where were we at the beginning of 2023? Yeah, that's a good point. I think, you know, it's good to, I think, understand kind of where we came from going into 2023. It's kind of hard to understand, you know, 2023 without knowing sort of where we're at before. And, you know, we won't spend a whole, this is a 2023 review, so we won't spend a whole lot of time on 2022, nor do we want to, because it was not a super pretty (laughs) year for, you know, the markets. Uh, But yeah, a big driving factor, obviously, coming into 2023 was, you know, the increase of inflation that we saw, that that was certainly a big driver to, to both the equity and the bond markets. And, and with that, you know, we saw the Fed aggressively begin to, to increase interest rates. Um, you know, probably even had a recession priced in there, you know, in, in October in the markets, uh, as rates did did begin to, to increase and the markets reacted to that. Um, so, you know, we ended 2022 with the S&P was down about 19.4%. The Dow was down about 8.8%. Um, and the NASDAQ was down over 33%, 33.1%. So, you know, again, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because those numbers aren't super pretty, but uh, but it is good still to kind of understand, you know, where, where we're at sort of rolling into to 2023. Um, you know, another, another, I think, big issue to talk about there as well is, is the bond market was, was heavily affected. PB, I think maybe you've got some numbers on that as well. Exactly. So in 2022... Not only were stocks hit hard, but bond investments were hit hard in terms of the price. There's an index called the Aggregate Bond Index, also known as the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index, which uh, is sort of the the industry benchmark for how bonds as an investment vehicle collectively do from, from period to period. And the Aggregate Bond Index lost 13% in 2020. That's very unusual. Normally, bonds are known for relative calm in price, uh, at least relative to stocks, and and certainly not going down 13% in a year. But that's what happened to bonds uh, as a function of those interest rate increases. So stock investors were hurt in 2022, by and large. Bond investors were hurt in 2022, by and large. And uh, so that brings us to an interesting statistic here. A benchmark of a balanced portfolio, and what we're talking about is a 60% stock, 40% bond investment allocation. So a balanced 60-40 portfolio lost 18.1% in 2022. That was the second worst year since the inception of the aggregate bond index in 1976, the the worst year being 2008. So basically, 2022 was a whammy all the way around, unfortunately. Yeah, and and just to to add to that, you know, and kind of how a historic year 2022 was, as again, we're rolling into 2023. Yeah, I think it was only the third time in the last 100 years that both stocks and bonds both both declined in the same year. Uh, The previous two years before that were 1931 and and 1969. So going way back in history, uh, it was the first time ever that both the S&P 500 and the 10-year Treasury bond both declined more than 10% as well. So, you know, particularly for bonds, for sure, it was an incredibly historic year for 2022. Um, and I think kind of on the heels of that, there were a lot of economists predicting recession. Matter of fact, you know, I think in Nick's most recent article, he, he had written that, um, I think Bloomberg had predicted basically in, in October of 2022, predicted 100% chance of a recession in 2023. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that kind of as the uh, as our conversation rolls on. Yeah. And talking about those, those increases, 
seven increases in 2022, which is um, a lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, we we had gone years with zero or close to zero percent interest rates, and then seven increases um, within 2022. And, and if uh, I'm not mistaken, the first four of those increases, I think, were each 75 basis points. Um, and I'm yeah. not sure that there's ever historically been back-to-back 75 basis point increases, yeah. let alone four consecutive. So that, again, sort of prompted, you know, the big rollover of, of the markets across right. the board in 2022. Right. right. Okay, so let's let's jump to 2023 then. That, that kind of sets the stage for where we started the year. Um, Rate increases continue, but but the market does start to digest these previous rate increases. We we start to see that they are actually um, the rate increases are working. Uh, I use finger quotes on that. Um, you know, you could argue on that, but they're doing what they were essentially put in place to do, which is to to fight against that inflation. Yeah. So. Inflation did, and probably maybe should have mentioned this in the 2022 section, peaked at 9.1% in June of 2022. Um, and since then, you know, made a pretty, sta- a pretty steady downward trend, um, actually from June 22 all the way to June 23, where it got as low as 3%. Um, and it's kind of floundered around since June uh, and has ended. The most recent reading we have is, is uh, November's number, November 2023's mm-hmm. number, where it sits at 3.1% currently. Uh, the December number, where as Nathan mentioned, recording on a Monday. I think this coming up Thursday is when the December uh, we actually get that that final December reading. I recall there was a lot of angst in the markets back in 2022 and early 2023 when the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates so precipitously. Uh, but looking back, it it does seem again, <laughs> air quotes. It does seem to have worked to lower inflation. Uh, because it does seem like there's this inverse correlation between interest rates having risen over those many months and inflation having fallen over those many months. Yeah, absolutely. Something we were, you know, we talked about earlier that's probably worth mentioning that inflation is coming down or, or, you know, did come down quite a bit last year. That's not the same thing as deflation or negative inflation. So, yeah, it's great that... um, you know, inflation came down from what was it there at the peak nine point one nine point one percent in June down, of twenty two down, down to up. three. So it, it still the prices uh, of you know everything really in the market is continuing to increase. It's just increasing at a lower rate. Mm, right, yeah. right. So it's um, you know when you hear inflation is coming down, it's it, just important to remember that uh, prices are still increasing. They're just um, at, at a slower rate. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think a lot of people hear that the inflation's coming down, but they yeah. say, "Well, wait a minute, I'm still paying more at the grocery right. store." And so, right. yeah, that's and that's exactly right. It's just the the rate of the increase going up slower than it was previously. So, mm-hmm. as you exactly. mentioned, decreasing prices would be deflation, um, yeah. and that's which is not what we're experiencing in the markets. The inflation being three percent, roughly at the moment, is very close to the long term, like ninety year historical average. So we're, we're basically back to average, aren't we? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably worth mentioning also the Fed targets a 2% inflation rate. So the Fed still sort of sees its job not quite done yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that might be something we talk about a little bit more when we get into looking forward here in 2024 as well. We're hearing a lot of people talk about soft landing, 
which appears is, you know, kind of where we are now that inflation has come down. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean to you guys? When, when we hear on the news, can we have a soft landing um, or we're in a soft landing? What, what does that mean exactly? To me, I hear that the term and think uh, what a soft landing is, is can the Federal Reserve really bring the economy to a more comfortable place in terms of inflation without causing a recession in the meantime? Yes. And, yeah. uh, and, that's, and that does seem to be where we're at at the moment. That's a positive place to be. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, my notes, I kind of wrote a soft landing is just it's a slowdown in growth as opposed to a contraction uh, in, yeah. in economic activity. Um, you know, looking at if we kind of look at gross domestic product or GDP numbers, you know, it's sort of an overall gauge of how, you know, the domestic economy is doing. Um, you know, the economy grew at about an average annualized pace of about 3.2% in the first three quarters of 2023. So that recession, you know, that was so widely predicted, you know, towards the end of 2022, PB, as you mentioned, hasn't, hasn't you know, shown its head yet, um, which is, I think, why we saw some positive market reaction this year. One, one, certainly one big reason we saw, you know, the markets, you know, increase as much as they have this year. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the, the market specifically. So we had inflation come down, um, rate increases, but then middle of the year, our, our last rate hike was July, July 26th. Um, the markets kind of took off, didn't they? Um, PB, were you they they say did. Something? I was yeah. going to say that the markets, especially the stock market, reacted very positively to the Federal Reserve causing their interest rate hiking. Um, so in 2023, the Dow Jones Industrial Average ended the year up 13.7%. The S&P 500 ended the year up 24.2%. And the NASDAQ, which is, this is an incredible number, ended up uh, with a positive 43.4% gain. Yeah, that, that, that is wild. Um, now it's off a low level from 2022. Right, where it was down. Yeah. I think we mentioned it was down a little over 33% in 22. And, and that might be kind of an interesting talking point, I think, too. Why did the NASDAQ so vastly underperform in 2022 and, and you know, vastly overperform in 2023? Um, and I think it really goes back to those interest rate increases. You know, when we think about interest rates, you know, going up or just interest rates in general, it's really the cost of capital for businesses. So as interest rates increase that, you know, essentially cost a firm more money. And, uh, you know, a company that, so NASDAQ is very tech laden, um, very tech heavy. So those kinds of companies, you know, are, are more kind of your growth oriented companies. They're funding new projects and new products and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so they tend to rely more on, you know, borrowing for those kinds of things. So as that cost of capital increases, they tend to get hit a little worse than, you know, than your value type, you know, your Coca-Cola's and Procter and Gamble's, Johnson and Johnson's, those kinds of companies. Um, so, which is why we, I think we saw them get hit so hard in 2022. And then as, you know, the market sort of projected that we're closer to the end of the rate hiking cycle than the beginning of it, mm -hmm. uh, there was a big recovery there. Um, you know, something else I think may be worth mentioning along those lines too with tech stocks is, you know, generative, this, the, the spark of generative AI kind of in the first yeah. quarter, first half mm -hmm. of the year as well, yeah. certainly was a driver there. Yeah. Right. It's an interesting uh, year, but I mean, the, uh, and this isn't the only time it's been this way, but um, there was such a focus on interest rates that 
uh, and, and you know, and it, sometimes this happens where it's it becomes almost bad news is good news. You know, um, there's such focus on interest rates that whatever happened or affected those is is what how the market determined what the market was going to do. So, uh, for example, um, economic if slowdown. Typically, you would think, well, that's not good. Well, last year it was good because <laughs> economic slowdown meant the Fed was probably going to hold off on interest rates. Mm-hmm. And the market welcomed that. And the market right. welcomed that. So good economic news or, or what you would say positive economic news, strong economic news, you would think on its face would be good. In actuality, the market did not like that because that meant that the Fed might, you know, put in further increases. So. We, you know, it's it's just a, it was a strange year, and and sometimes we do have these strange instances in the market where you think good news would be good news, but good news is bad news, bad news is good news. Right. So, yeah. Right. Well, and that I feel like that plays to this firm's philosophy about investing, which is focus on the long term. Don't necessarily focus quarter to quarter, or even year to year. Sometimes focus on the longer term. Right. And if we think back to 2023, kind of to that point, PB, you know, some of that short term noise, you know, the banking crisis dominated headlines for, oh, yeah. you know, two or three weeks, maybe maybe a month or so. Um, and I bring it up now and, you know, some of the listeners to the podcast may have even forgotten that there was kind of a, a semi banking crisis. there. But I think we had three kind of smaller banks fail, uh, but but financials and, and the market as a whole sold off significantly during those few weeks. And go back and look at a chart of 2023 now that's a that's literally a blip you know and, yeah. and it's it's hard to kind of point out and yeah the further removed we get from that the more of a blip that will be in charts going forward so yeah, yeah focusing on that long-term investing versus that short-term noise is, is certainly important and yeah our philosophy of how we invest folks money yeah a final thought on the markets for 2023 we talked about the dow the s p 500 and the nasdaq all having excellent years uh, let's talk about bonds that aggregate bond index, which had lost 13% in 2022, gained 5.5% in 2023. So bond, bonds had a had a good year last year, especially relative to 2022. And again, that's a function of the Federal Reserve pausing that interest rate hiking cycle. And finally, the bonds inside those portfolios, inside the index, were you know yielding better as interest rates are higher. Yes. And all yeah. in all that the net result was a good year for the aggregate bond index. Yeah. yeah. So PB, you mentioned uh, those returns just briefly again, Dow Jones up almost fourteen percent, S P twenty four point two, Nasdaq up forty three point four percent. S P five hundred ended the year with nine straight weeks of increases. Is uh pretty impressive. It's kind of hard to believe it. That that kind of shows um, where we ended the year really strong. Let's talk for a few minutes about 2024. And uh, of course, we have to put a disclaimer here that, you know, this is all just market speculation. Nobody knows for sure um, what's going to happen. But the good thing about being long-term investors is we don't necessarily have to know. on a day-to-day basis, what's what's going to happen? But there are several things coming up ahead that are, are worth discussing, and one of the main ones is 2024 is an election year. So, PB, I know you recently did some research on this. Tell us a little bit about election years and the markets. This is a topic that 
I'm sure our listeners aren't surprised to hear we get questioned a lot about. Yeah. It's an election year. Uh, it's going to be a contentious election. I, I don't know, have any insider information. I just feel like that it's bound to be a contentious election. <laughs> and so we're anticipating that a lot of our friends and clients might be wondering, you know, should I be nervous? What should this imply for my investment portfolio for 2024? And so we did some research and um, I'll hit the highlights and then I'll go deeper. The highlights are if we just look back over history long-term, U.S. stocks have trended up regardless of whether a Republican or a Democrat is in charge uh, as president. And we want to do our best to use history as a guide and try to rule out a lot of the emotion and try to also help ourselves and help our listeners to not concern themselves so much with the news cycle as things progress in the presidential race this year, because we do want to look back over history and let history be a beacon for us as investors. Actually, I think that presidents get far too much credit and far too much blame for the health of the U.S. economy and the state of financial markets. Uh, there are so many other variables that determine economic growth and market returns. And frankly, presidents have little influence over that. And there's also always a lag, it seems. You know, presidents will enact policies or Congress will enact policies uh, which um, may not truly come into effect in the business climate for a while. Um, so there's a lag there. On the other hand, there's a, a forward-looking uh, variable to how financial markets price assets. And so the market, especially the stock market, is, is always looking ahead to what's next, not necessarily valuing things as they are at this moment. So anyway, the message is it's very difficult to pinpoint uh, Republican or Democrat leadership in the White House to a better or worse uh, outcome for stock investments. And in fact, it's quite, it's almost a, a very close race, almost a tie historically of how the stock market does compared to whether a Republican or a Democrat is in charge. Here's a study that we did in 2016, so two presidential election cycles ago. We were looking at the performance of a large U.S. stock mutual fund, which is correlated to the S&P 500 index. There had been 11 terms of Democratic presidential leadership and nine terms of Republican leadership in the White House from 1936 going into the 2016 election. Interestingly, this fund had average annual returns of 11% during the Democratic 10-year periods and 10.7% during the Republican 10-year periods very comparable in my view. So that's one uh, interesting stat. Hey, here's another one more recent. Let's just compare uh, the President uh, Obama years with the President Trump years in terms of how U.S. stocks did. Would either of you care to make a guess as what the average annual return of stocks was during President Obama's eight years? Boy, I don't know. 10%. I'll just throw 10% out there. Yeah, it's kind of a long, uh, that's long term. long term, term. Yeah, yeah, that's long term just, average. Yeah. That's, a, that's a safe yeah. call. That's going to be my guess, too. <laughs> so during, those, uh, during this, these eight years, from January of 2009 to January of 17, during President Obama's leadership, the uh, 
U.S. stock market averaged 16.3% annually. Not yeah, bad. Yeah, not yeah, bad at all. I would have thought more about that. I probably could have got closer. Yeah. Here's where the yeah. point is yeah. made. How about during the four years of President Trump's leadership from January of 17 to January of 20? What do you suppose the average annual return was? Probably pretty close to that, I would guess. Okay, so, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. 16.0%. So we had 16.3 followed by 16.0. We had a Democrat followed by Republican, and the average annual returns were very, very similar. Yeah, yeah I'll add to that just a little bit. That was, yeah, that was a great job, PB, of kind of explaining how elections affect or probably better said, don't affect the markets. You know, I think in the short term, you know, you can see some volatility going into elections. I don't, you know, I don't know that I've, you know, I don't have my hands on data right in front of me here that that alludes to that, but it seems like there might be a little bit more volatility sort of rolling into an election on the short term basis. I'll speak to that. Yeah, sure. Sure, there is. Um, Historically speaking, uh, leading up to the, the primaries and during the primaries in an election year, uh, that's when we historically see more market volatility. So specifically, the first five months of an election year generally have lower uh, average returns in stocks and higher volatility with stocks. But after primaries, this the back half of the year, t- the markets do tend to bounce back and return to their long-term upward trajectory. I think that goes to the market's forward-looking, you know, it, forward-looking nature, I guess, you know, so what the market hates more than anything is uncertainty. So, you know, rolling into those primaries, you know, not really knowing who might be the leader of the country, you know, that that creates a lot of uncertainty in the market. So once the market knows who is going to be in office, or at least, you know, if it's between two candidates, who's, you know, they can, they can kind of pretty well sort of start to plan for those kinds of things. And the market is, you know, market in these companies that, that make up the market are extremely efficient, um, and, and yeah, you know, to your point, PB, the market really performs very similarly regardless of, you know, if there's a Republican or a Democrat in, in office. Um, I've, I've got a chart in front of me that I'm looking at here that goes all the way back to President Kennedy in 1960. And the market, it, say for one president, the market has closed higher every time at the end of a president's term versus where the president started. So, you know, again, that and, and I think the one you know, this is not a political comment by any stretch, but I'll just mention George W. Bush was the only one where the market did close a little lower from the time that he ended his candidacy or ended his presidency from when he began it. But if you think back to that, that was probably more timing more than anything. You know, he, he took office in 2000, right when, you know, the tech bubble popped. Uh, mm-hmm. September 11th happened, obviously, not too long after that. The market was actually higher in 2007 when, you know, he was about to leave office, you know, in 2008, but the great financial crisis hit in 2008. So the market sold off. So going back to Kennedy, you know, say for the one president, the market has always ended higher from where it started when when a president took office. That's good. That's good information. And that brings me back to another point that we'll make, which is we feel it's best to stay invested during election years and avoid timing the market around politics. We feel like that's the case um, all the time, but particularly it, it bears emphasizing during elections. Yeah, sure. That's great information, PB. Thanks for that. And uh, Scott, thanks for your input. So, uh, you know, we keep going back to inflation and interest rates, but that's been such a big driver in, in the markets. Looking ahead to 24, Scott, I think you have some information. What what are the projections look like at least? It's it's a little up in the air and it can change, but 
looking at maybe the Fed forecast, what what do you think is going to happen with yeah. interest rates? Yeah, so if we, yeah, looking forward to 2024, we, you know, there's kind of two things that we can look at when, you know, we're looking at interest rates going forward. So, you know, the first is the Fed itself. So I believe, I think it's every other um, Federal Open Market Committee meeting that they have, they put out what they call the the uh, it's the SEP, the Statement of Economic Projections, I think is what that stands for. And with that, they sort of average what each Fed governor's, you know, interest rate projection is, you know, where it may end at 2024, you know, where they project it will be at the end of 2025, and where they project it will be at the end of 2026. So by the end of 2024, the Fed, so currently they sit at 5.5% as the high end of their, their the Fed funds target. Um, by the end of 2024, the projection is showing about 4.6%. So, you know, anywhere from, you know, from 75 to 100 basis points worth of rate cuts, it, it won't be at 4.6. It'll mm-hmm. be at 4.5 or 4.75 based on how the Fed typically moves 25 basis points at a time. But again, that's just kind of an average number of what each governor is looking at. So, yeah, it's somewhere around 75 to 100 basis points of cuts is kind of what the Fed is projecting. Um, interestingly, you know, we can also sort of look at what the market projects. There's, a, We won't get too far into the weeds about how all these numbers are, are <laughs> projected, but there are Fed funds futures that, you know, that trade on the open market as well. And, and you know, we can watch and, and track those to sort of see what the market thinks will happen. Uh, so interestingly, if the Fed, you know, themselves kind of sit where they think rates will be at around 4.6% by the end of the year, the market actually expects rates be to be all the way down to 3.6% by the end of the year. So the market is projecting a full 100 basis points of, of cuts above and beyond what the Fed themselves are projecting wow. by the end of 2024. Uh, so, yeah, th- I thought those were, were some super interesting numbers. Um, as far as when those cuts may, may happen, right now there's about a 60 to 65%, no, no, I guess almost 66% chance that the first cut will come at the March meeting. So there's a meeting in January, another meeting in March, um, about a 65 or 66% chance that that first rate cut, at least one you know, rate cut will, will come in March. By the time we get to June, it's almost 100% chance uh, for, from what the market is mm-hmm. telling us anyway, uh, that, that the Fed will cut, will begin to cut rates by, by the June meeting. Okay. And I, I think you have a very interesting statistic on this, but assuming that's the case, let's, let's assume somewhere in, in lines with that happens, um, and no more increases. So no increases since July, really. Um, historically, what what do we see on the back end of rate crease, rate increases as far as market goes, market performance? Right. Yeah. JP Morgan has a really good chart that short that, that sort of shows what the S and P five hundred, what you know, what stocks have done for the twelve months after the final rate increase took place. So again, you know, looking, mm-hmm. I think July 26 was the mm-hmm. was the last rate increase, assuming that is the la- the last rate increase, you know, I think these numbers are interesting to look at. So it looked at the previous six rate hiking cycles. Uh, this goes all the way back to July of 1984 is when one, one of these hiking cycles ended. Um, and so there was, yeah, there was a cycle that ended in July of 84, one in February of 89, one in February of 95, um, there was a, a hiking cycle ended in May of 2000, June of 06, and now and also December of 2018. So again, assuming this was the final rate increase in, in July of 2023, um, on average, each of, each of those previous six hiking cycles, 12 months later, the S&P 500 was up about 18.2% on, on average. Um, so, you know, now is, is the 1st of January or, or near the 1st of January, you know, and you may be wondering, okay, what has the market already done in the six months since the last rate mm-hmm. hike? 
Well, the market is uh, is only up about 2.9% currently from that final rate hike. So, you know, and, and this is, we sort of disclaimed, you know, before we started our 2024 discussion, prior results or, or previous, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the word past, I'm looking for? Past yeah, performance. past performance yeah. is not indicative of, of future results, you know, should certainly insert that here at this point. Um, but yeah, looking, you know, kind of looking at history, if we've only seen a, a run of about 3% or since, since that last rate increase, then, you know, we, we may have a little bit of room to run here between now and at least, you know, the first half of the year. So, okay. Very interesting. Very interesting statistic. Anything else you guys can think of on, on 2024 as we look ahead? Um, you know, it's just worth, worth mentioning that Again, all this is speculation. There's a lot going on around the world, uh, overseas speculation, a lot of political turmoil, energy prices. There, there's just uh, lots of things that it could could affect the things we're talking about. Um, there's always unknowns out there. Um, anything else you guys can think of? Uh, I think we've kind of hit the high points. Um, I'll mention just quickly Remember, for 2024, uh, most of the contribution limits have increased. I won't go through all those, but, you know, just for example, your IRAs, you've got a $500 increase there. So a $6,500 max contribution is now up to $7,000. You still have the $1,000 catch-up if you're over age 50. Um, 401ks have also gone up $500. So uh, remember that as you're making your contributions for 2024. uh, Take advantage of that. Also, probably worth noting, Social Security just got a 3.2% cost of living adjustment. So those of you on Social Security should see that uh, little bump. And it, it's no um, uh, it's no coincidence that that 3.2 is kind of close to, you know, what we talked about with inflation being kind of 3.1 or whatever the last reading was. That, that's kind of tied into, tied into that to some extent. So, um if you want some more information on these topics, PB has a great article on election years and the markets in the uh, our benchmark newsletter that's getting ready to come out. Uh, should hit mailboxes probably next week. As well as uh, Nick has a, a quarter review, last quarter of 2023, kind of a, a quarter end, year end review article that's got some really great information in it as well. So I encourage you to take a look at that uh, newsletter when it hits the mailboxes. And uh, I guess we'll... We'll wrap up here. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next time on The Benchmark.